You've been listening to our podcast, Getting Educated, Regulating Your Emotional Reactions, and it's been really helpful. Yet you know you could do better, be better, and you're wanting and needing more support. That's where our coaching service is a game changer. We're here for you when you need us the most, ensuring you have all the tools and resources at your fingertips, guiding and supporting you to be more effective. Our free rapid relief call helps you gain a broader perspective, commit to your best next steps, and determine what coaching support is right for you. Visit rapidreliefcall.com to book your call today. Welcome to the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast, where we invite you into a journey of healing and personal transformation that will radically change your divorce experience, heal your heart while refining your character, and set you up to be effective and feel empowered as you navigate the practical and emotional challenges of divorce. I'm your host, Karen McMahon, founder of Journey Beyond Divorce. My divorce brought me to my knees and it also transformed me and set me on this path to help you. I think that God brings good things out of bad situations. I don't think God causes bad things to happen, but I think he can bring good out of bad situations. And one of the things that he's blessed me with and one of the graces that I've received is I am such a better dad now. I was a very good dad before. Now I'm a great dad. I'm so involved. I'm so attentive. I've become a ridiculously good like cook and baker. I could never do any of that. They used to tease me. My kids used to tease me that, oh, dad, that's from a box. That's from a box. And they were accurate. And now here I am making cheesecakes from scratch and gingerbread cookies and all these different dishes and tortillas from scratch and pasta from scratch. I've just, I've learned this stuff because I didn't want to be box mac and cheese dad. I didn't want to be that guy. Not only that, it was an activity to do with the kids, but I just wanted to learn how to be a really, really good dad. Hey folks, welcome back. Today we're talking about divorce, faith, and three little hearts. It's one man's journey through divorce, dating, and single parenting. And this is a high conflict divorce story. So today with me, I have Chris. Welcome, Chris. Hey, it's so good to be here, Karen. I'm really excited about our conversation today. So Chris is the Chief Operating Officer of Men's Divorce Recovery, which is dedicated to empowering divorced men through support, knowledge, and encouragement to survive and thrive beyond divorce and become resilient, strong, and wise. And you know, you're here listening, you know how difficult divorce is. We talk a lot about how high-conflict divorces, a difficult divorce on steroids. And then being a guy and going through divorce, you have different challenges, you have different struggles, and many the same. But we really like to look at what are the unique complexities for men navigating divorce and high-conflict divorce? And then how about that single parenting piece? And then going out and dating and meeting someone and maybe introducing your kids to them because the relationship's that far along. And so we're going to dive into the entire kit and caboodle. And how do you navigate such a difficult time if you're a person of faith? And do do you fall away from your faith? Do you lean into it? And what goes on with that? And so Chris has all of these different experiences and he has his own divorce podcast. And so I'm so excited, Chris, to just kind of dive in and talk about all of the different things that can arise and the pearls of wisdom that you might have to share with our listeners. Well, I just hope that something I say can help at least one person out there. That's really the goal of what I do. And my partner, Dale Brown, in Men's Divorce Recovery is that we're just trying to help guys recover in the best way possible. And frankly, the advice that we give is applicable to men and women. Divorce is tough. And so we hope that we can help somebody just like you do, Karen. Beautiful. Beautiful. So first of all, just a little bit of context for our listeners 
Tell us a little bit about your divorce journey. Yeah, it was a tough one. So I was married 17 years. We were together almost 20 years. And from kind of the word go, I knew that it wasn't probably the ideal situation. There wasn't the the type of love that probably should have been present from the beginning. There was already conflict even before we got uh, married. And we started dating at a pretty young age. And we were dating at 22. We were married at 24. And I'm not sure that we completely knew what we were doing, but it's what all of our friends were doing. And it's what I thought I was supposed to do. And the the conflict continued. But then it, it really devolved, actually, when we had kids. Because then you just turn into to teammates and uh, any last remaining romance kind of goes away. I was certainly not a perfect husband. She was not a perfect wife. I would say it was, we both are culpable for the way that things ended. But by the time it ended, we were both so bitter, angry, resentful that it, it just became just a, a nightmare. It still is, unfortunately. And we just have, even though we have three young children together, we really don't have any type of relationship. There's no really co-parenting there. So it's unfortunate, but it's a story that that I hear so often in the work that, that we do with Men's Divorce Recovery. So how many years are you divorced now? It's been three years. Okay. So you're basically saying, and I think this is such an important thing for all of our listeners. So when you go through a High conflict divorce, the expectation that the co-parenting would be anything other than high conflict is often there, the expectations there, but without some shifts, it's pretty hard for it to, to go any way but the same, right? Yeah, well, and the interesting thing was, even though her and I had a lot of uh, uh, different opinions on how to parent, we still parented well together. So I thought at least we'd be able to do that. And I was wrong. It wasn't for lack of trying, quite frankly. I went to a co-parenting coach for a long time. She didn't want to go to that. So I tried my best. I tried to co-parent. And unfortunately, just sometimes it's just it's just not going to work. And so I kind of what took the stress away from me on that side is when I learned about parallel parenting, which is really you parent your way, I'll parent my way. And the intersection points are very few and far between. And once I accepted that in my heart, it became less stressful for me and just less emotionally painful for me. And frankly, it's going fine. And one of the nice things about that is that she's got great qualities. I've got great qualities. She's got poor qualities. I've got poor qualities. We're mixed. And the cool thing about the parallel parenting is that our children, I think, benefit because they get the best aspects of her and they get the best aspects of me. And it's unfiltered now because we're not in conflict in the marriage fighting about which way to parent. So I think the kids are getting a lot of a lot of good from this. Now, clearly, the, the, the optimal would be to have an intact family, but but we don't. In this case, though, I think my kids are getting some good nuggets from her and some good nuggets from me. Yeah. And it's that piece of accepting and stop shooting all over yourself that it should be something different than it is. I think that's such a key piece to come to terms with. This is the only way it can be. And so let me make the best of it. Yeah. And that's something that I learned through my involvement in recovery groups, because part of the story, part of my life story is recovery from alcoholism. And one of the things that they teach you in as, as part of these programs is to accept life on life's terms. And it's tough because that is just not my natural personality. I want to control the world around me by behaving in a way that I think will produce the outcomes that I want. And, and so learning how to accept life as it comes it has been a really big step in my growth and, and accepting life and kind of turning it over to God. This has all been really what has led me to become the person I am now, which is a completely different human being than I was even three years ago. That person I was three years ago, uh, the, the bad aspects are still somewhere inside of me. I know this, but I'm so much better of a guy right now. I'm happy. With- I think everyone needs the serenity prayer. I think that mm-hmm. should be like mandatory reading for every human being who has to be human. I too, I would say that going through, I went through Al-Anon and mm-hmm. I was raised Roman Catholic, but I didn't have a relationship with God. I guess I had this weird perspective that there was a priest and a bishop and a pope and a few other people between me and him. But I too found my faith and got really connected to my higher power. 
And I would love to talk a little bit about that because I know that's a lot of what you guys talk about. I love your podcast. And I think it's important to look at what happens to our faith when shitty things happen in our life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did it start with program for you or is that were you raised with faith? Can you share a little bit of your backstory there? I'm Mexican and I was raised as a Mexican Catholic. What that meant to me growing up is that we would go to church on Sundays, recite prayers and have candles of the Virgin Mary burning in our house and crucifixes like in the rooms. And I'm still like a very proud Roman Catholic. But I think one of the things about our faith in particular as Catholics that we're very good at reciting prayers, bless us, O Lord, and these I gifts which we are about to see from thy body across our Lord, amen. And then it's time to eat. Yeah. Where, I, where I was not in my faith journey was in the part where I had a true relationship with God um, that started to be built during my recovery, but it was amplified when I was going through a high conflict divorce. And frankly, the reason was I was stripped down to almost nothing. Um, and and a lot of guys will, will be able to relate to this. We're typically the ones that move out and are living in an apartment with nothing of ours that are there. We don't have our kids most of the time. Um, our family pet, I had a dog named Teddy, like gone. I didn't get to see him anymore. So I had nothing. At that time, I really had a choice to make. I could become bitter um, and angry at God, which is a lot of th- what I hear um, from our men's divorce recovery is I hear guys that are angry at God. Where I landed was, Lord, help me get through this. And I would be on my hands and knees every single night, uh, a lot of times in tears, like praying and just saying, Lord, help me get through this. But then I would also practice gratitude. I would, uh, every single night when I was stripped down to almost nothing, I would kneel at my bed and I would thank God for what I did have. And sometimes it was very simple. Thank God that I have a bed. Thank God that I ate dinner tonight. Thank God that I have heating and air conditioning in my apartment. Like all those kind of things that, that seem small. But I became closer and closer to my faith. And there was a couple of folks that really drew me in. Number one was Dale Brown, who's the, the founder of Men's Divorce Recovery. I found his book on Amazon. So he has a book called The Daily Survival Guide for Divorced Men. And I remember when I found it on Amazon, I was just looking for any resource. And I had my eyes were so swollen from crying, I couldn't even clearly read the title. I just ordered it and it came and I had no idea it was a Christian devotional. So when it came, I was pleasantly surprised. And I it's a 91-day devotional. And I reached out to Dale. And the book, he mentioned several times, hey, if you need help, reach out. And so I was like, I'm going to call this guy's bluff. See if he actually answers my call. And I did. We became great friends. And he helped me through and helped me come closer to God. Another person was my priest, Father John, from my home parish. And he really taught me the way of self-forgiveness, of coming back to Christ, of going from the dark to the light. As a Catholic, one of the sacraments that we have is the sacrament of reconciliation, or sometimes called confession. And I remember I kept on going and I couldn't forgive myself for everything that I had done that contributed to the marriage ending. I was just beating myself up, just Mm -hmm. blocking myself. And I remember after one confession, Father John told me, he said, God has forgiven you. Why do you think you are smarter than him not to be able to forgive yourself? Like, if God has forgiven you, who do you think you are? Like, are you bigger than God in this moment? And that really stuck with me. And it was so convicting where I just fundamentally understood it. That doesn't mean that all my guilt is gone, but I fundamentally understand that I have been forgiven and brought back into to communion um, with God through what I have done and just the way I've changed my life. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And it's so true, that whole, no, I'm going to stand outside here being the scorned one, but God's not scorning you. Yeah, exactly. What did that do for you to have that depth of faith as you really had your life stripped away for you? What would you say that provided for you emotionally, spiritually? I would say probably the biggest thing is I stopped stressing out about what was going to happen in the future. And I started to have faith. And faith, hope, and love are are what we call the the theological virtues in in Catholicism. And faith and hope 
are actually not rooted in things of this world. The, the faith is the faith in everlasting life. And the hope is the hope that you're going to achieve that. And so what that did to me is it stripped away also my worldly attachments. So everything I was attached to before, my old house, my dog, even all the time I spent with my kids, it became secondary to me. And what became primary to me was my relationship with God. And what I fundamentally started to understand was at any point in time, you can be let down by another human being. Human beings leave you, even if they don't want to. Somebody can get hit by a car. They don't want to leave you and they're gone, whether that's your spouse or a friend or family member. But the one being that is always there that will never let you down is God. And so that's what becoming closer to my faith really did to me. And then as I started to understand the moral life, the moral teachings, that helped me understand the way I should be living my life. And specifically, Jesus lays out really well in the Sermon on the Mount. He doesn't mince words on what he wants us to do, how he wants us to behave. And what I found was, if you do things the right way, your life becomes a lot simpler. And that's really where I got to. And it just helped my stress level. And it just helped me just let go of my earthly attachments. Not completely. I'm a human being. I still want nice stuff. I still like making money, but it's just a lot less important. That's the key. It's not important. It's less important. Yeah. No, I love what you're saying, Chris. And I would say that my journey through my high conflict divorce did the same thing. I ended up finding a Christian church and it's such an interesting shift. And I've had the same thing. I have a lot of clients who get really angry at God and they pull away because like, how could there be a loving God who would allow this to happen to me? And some of the happening to me is horrible and it's an understandable human response to have. And yet you just laid it out so beautifully. For me, I remember my prayer was always, please, please, please make sure I have my kids. Like, it was all these needs, these worldly needs. And I remember one day I woke up, I don't know what had changed, but I just decided if I really trust that God is God, I really don't need to tell him what to do. And so what do I want to pray for? And I woke up that day and I started praying for your will in your time. Now, my divorce was three and a half years. So that in and of itself was a leap of faith, like your will in your time. And please give me, what did I pray for? The strength and patience and faith to abide and the stress and the pressure just melted away. And the other thing that occurred right after that shift for me was the sea parted. Things that had been stuck for months and months and months began to flow. And I think you and I know that the promise is if you keep your eyes on me and what's important to me, I will take care of all of your needs. Mm -hmm. I have you covered. I will make your requests as long as they're through my eyes and my heart. I will make those happen for you. And I have since lived through some pretty hard things and it's hard for me to understand how people can go through something as difficult as a high conflict divorce with no faith. Now, you and I share a Christian faith, but the truth is, like one of my first questions is always upon what spiritual ground do you stand when life throws you those big, difficult monkey wrenches? And having faith is so valuable. Yeah. And one of the things that I learned through recovery programs, too, is the most important thing is understanding there's a higher power and it's not you. So some people in the recovery programs, they have the wind as their higher power. They have a doorknob. They have the group, whatever it is, the point. And, and I've had many sponsees now where I help walk them through 12 steps. And that's the thing that I'm trying to get through to them is like, you have to understand it's not you. Um, like you are not the higher power. Your will is not ultimately always the best thing. I, I remember one of the best piece of advice is that I got a piece of advice that I got in recovery programs is that I have to fire myself as my own decision maker. And because all of my decisions led me to where I was, which was not a good spot. 
And so I did that. I formed a trusted group of men who I really listened to. And then I really listened to sacred scripture and sacred tradition. And it really helped me. And now I'm back on stable ground where I feel like I can make more solid decisions. But still, if it's a big decision, I'm going to go to people that I trust and I'm going to honestly listen to their opinion now, whereas before I kind of didn't. So there's been a complete mind shift there. And I would say the other thing that I would add to that is we always talk about make sure that you have a quality support team. Don't go to somebody who's bringing their own baggage to the table. And if you're a person of faith, for me, when I have my hardest times, I want to go to my faith community. I want people who are also advising me through their lens and their relationship with God and not just out of their own humanness. And I have experienced from people I love in both categories, the extreme difference that I get from my people who are not solidly in their in faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same thing I've seen. If you're not solid in some kind of faith that is that is not of this world, it leads you to have a very small viewpoint. Dale Brown often says, we have to understand that this world is not as good as it gets. It's as bad as it gets. And if you have that perspective, that's not to say the world is bad, by the way. God, God made the world great. But, the wor- but this world comes with problems. And so if we are living for this lifetime, we're just always going to be disappointed. Right. And having that faith it's just so amazing because it makes me look forward to what's next. And I I live for today and I'm very happy being here. I don't want to go anywhere, which is different than how I felt when I was going through a high conflict divorce. I'll tell you, when I was going through a high conflict divorce, my evening prayer was, please, Lord, do not let me wake up in the morning. I wasn't suicidal or anything, but I didn't want to be around. Thankfully, he did not answer that prayer. But yeah, now I'm so detached from this world. It's okay. Joe and their spouse always seemed to be fighting, but nothing was ever resolved. Their spouse would constantly blame them, unwilling to take any responsibility. Joe lived in the tension of walking on eggshells, doubting themselves, and over time, they became unhinged, angry, and triggered, struggling further with shame and self-condemnation. Their reactivity was used as proof that they were the problem. If you're in a relationship or marriage filled with conflict and blame, and you're wondering, is this normal or could it be toxic? Take the quiz and find out how toxic your relationship is. Go to journeybeyonddivorce.com backslash toxic quiz and find out today. I want to share the one real growth spurt and ask your opinion on this, how you handle this. So for me, when I got real solid that I could handle whatever happens to me and then I'm leaning into God and God's my God, I have a pretty difficult ex and my kids had some really, really hard experiences with him. And one of my kids just had incredibly difficult experiences in life and My initial thing was to go back to taking control. And there was this message that I would get at my church when I would go up for prayer. And one of the pastors said to me, he's their heavenly father too. But I almost put myself between my kids' struggles and God. I got you back. I'm here. I got you. I'm, I'm covering you. And I was trying to do something that I had no ability to do in comparison to just trusting and praying that God did have their back. And so it was easy. It got so much easier if it was just me. But then I had to relearn the whole thing when my kids hit some big struggles. I bet I have a 13 year old daughter and an 11 year old son and a a five year old son. And so they haven't really reached that age where they're going through. I feel like my daughter is close. She's 13. So she's going to go into high school next year. 
But yeah, I pray for them all the time. And one of the other things that I did when I was going through the high conflict divorce is that I prayed for my now ex-wife every single night by name. And I didn't say, hey, Lord, please make her stop being a jerk. I said, hey, Lord, please bring her peace and serenity and happiness. And I got to tell you, I was grinding my teeth while I was doing it. Mm-hmm. But after a while, it started to work and the, the hate started to dissipate. That doesn't mean she doesn't do stuff now. It still gets under my skin. But I always remind myself that she's a child of God and she's valuable. You are so my people, Chris. This is great. I love that. I love that. So I want to pivot unless there's anything else on the faith front that you really want to, we can always summarize at the end too. You said that you hope that anything you have to say is helpful for a man or a woman, but I would like to highlight, we are one of the divorce coaching companies out there who do coach both men and women. There aren't a lot. I love that you guys are out there supporting men. What would you say as a guy who's gone through it and is now single parenting, what would you say a few of the unique complexities that men face that you've noticed? I would say, and this isn't just my experience, this is the experience of a lot of guys that Dale and I work with that are all over the world. We have less of a support network typically because guys aren't as good as at keeping deep relationships and friendships. We may have surface level ones. We may go watch a game with, with a friend or, or whatever it is, but we don't call them up and say, hey, bro, can you come help me out? You know, changing diapers or something like that. We don't do that. We don't bring each other casseroles. We don't, we just, I, I don't know why, but guys are just not, we're just not good at this. And so typically when divorce takes place, the, 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 the woman often has a bigger support network than the man. And that's what I found. I, I felt completely alone. Thankfully, I have a great family. Uh, I was living about three blocks away from my cousin when I moved into the apartment uh, that, that I lived in post-divorce. And so I did have probably more people than most, but still I felt, I really felt it. So I think that's probably the number one thing that guys are feeling is number one, they're feeling a tremendous loss because all of their world has been completely stripped away. They're not in their house. They don't have their pets. They don't have their kids most of the time. Number two, they, we just feel alone and we don't feel like we can talk to other guys in the way that women often can. There's a lot of data right now showing that there's just an epidemic of loneliness among men. And, and then the, 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 the final piece here um, that is unique is that 75 to 80 percent of divorces are filed by women. That doesn't mean that 75 to 80 percent is the woman's fault. Let me make that clear. It's just that most of the time the man won't leave. Um, And there's a lot of theories around why that is. But often they're caught by surprise, even when the women warn us, by the way. I'm not saying women don't warn us over and over and over again. And I got to tell you, one thing that I have learned in relationships now is that if a woman says something to you in terms of feedback, they're serious. And I didn't understand that in my marriage. I'm very honest. I was very immature. When I would get feedback, I would think it was a joke or not serious. And now when I get feedback, I adjust behavior immediately. And I apologize for anything that had landed the the wrong way. And then I change. And so it's stuff that I had to learn. But I I think all those things are unique to men. And it's just so hard. Guys just are told to man up and to be tough. And that's not a good path to divorce recovery. That's a terrible path because what that leads to is a whole bunch of bad behavior rather than a healthy recovery. And I think what's so interesting, first of all, I completely agree on the support. I think that culturally there is very little encouragement of men to feel their emotions, to share their emotions. If you're supposed to be the guy with the stiff upper lip and the pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and all this other BS, well, when your world comes crashing down, what do you have? It's almost like you haven't created the circle of support. But even more than that, and to your point, if the vast majority are having divorce filed against them, legitimate or otherwise, there's that's such a big wave. So it's like, okay, so I feel rejected, even if you've told me a hundred times how unhappy you are, like you filed against me. So now I get to feel shameful and rejected. Um, I have nobody to talk to. I've only talked about like the sports game. And so I can't call the guy and do that thing. And how does that not lead to loneliness, depression, self-worth issues? It does bring us back to faith where that's like such a great 
place to lean when that happens. I also find that where women fear the finances more, men fear and often find themselves having to defend themselves for not being an equal primary parent when there was a division of labor that in even in today's day and age, a lot of times dad is out working and mom is taking care of the kids. And all of a sudden you can't have 50-50 custody because you don't know how to, or you haven't been doing it, which is, I will admit, I I worked full time as did my spouse, but I was like, you haven't done this. You can't do this because he just didn't. And I was so wrong. Of course he could. And he figured it out and he did it his way. But that's another wave that I find our male clients are often facing. Yeah. Oh, boy, how true that is. I was a pretty involved dad, but my ex was a stay-at-home mom for a decade. And you can't compare to that if you're out working. <laughs> you can't. And so when we were going through the process and she was throwing all these things out there that she could do better than me, I was sitting there kind of like, number one, yes, I could do those things. But number two, I was literally in China last week doing business. I couldn't be there putting the kids to bed every single night. So it was quite frustrating, but everything that was claimed that I couldn't do, I've done. And I've done, I got to say, like, I'm not really into patting myself on the back too much, especially now that I've really practicing humility, but I've done a good job. I think that God brings good things out of bad situations. I don't think God causes bad things to happen, but I think he can bring good out of bad situations. And one of the things that he's blessed me with and one of the graces that I've received is I am such a better dad now. I was a very good dad before. Now I'm a great dad. I'm so involved. I'm so attentive. I've become a ridiculously good like cook and baker. I could never do any of that. They used to tease me. My kids used to tease me that, oh, dad, that's from a box. That's from a box. And they were accurate. And now here I am making cheesecakes from scratch and gingerbread cookies and all these different dishes and tortillas from scratch and pasta from scratch. I've just, I've learned this stuff because I didn't want to be box mac and cheese dad. I didn't want to be that guy. Not only that was an activity to do with the kids, but I just wanted to learn how to be a really, really good dad. Yeah, it sounds like you really are too, Chris. Thank you for sharing that. And I think that there's a difference between boasting and speaking truth. We should be proud of the better human beings and the better parents that we become. I'm a much better parent as a result of my divorce than I would have been. I am definitely more conscious and intentional. I definitely put more of a premium on always being available to hear and support. And I don't know if that was the case. And I think for so many if we pull back, it's the big crises, it's the big difficulties that we get slammed into where God's promise, it's in his book. He's like promises to always make good out of whatever bad happens, but we have to partner with him, right? We have to be willing to look at ourselves and see where are you trying to stretch and grow me through this incredibly difficult thing. And so you went through this difficult high conflict divorce. You've now been co-parenting for three years. When it comes to being a single parent dad, what are a couple of the tips that you would give our listeners who are stepping into that for the first time after maybe having a stay-at-home spouse? A couple of things. Like, number one, like, don't be Disney dad. And we, we hear so much about that. Disney dad is just the kids are getting them over and all you're going to do is like the fun stuff, but then you lay all of the parenting responsibilities and the tough discipline and all that stuff on the mom. I, I consider myself Disney dad, but a responsible version of Disney dad. I like to do fun stuff because I have fun with my kids. I want to take them to amusement parks. I want to take them to like the bouncy places and jumpy places and all that kind of fun stuff. But then I feed them healthy food. I, I get them ready for school. I talk to them about what needs to be talked about. I take them to church. I teach them and instruct them in the faith. I do it all. So as a dad, don't try because ultimately I think what dads are trying to do in that is compete with with the mother for they want the kids to have more fun at their house. I personally want my kids to enjoy being at my house and their mom's house the same. I have no need to compete. We're, we're both parents. They should love us both the same amount. That's a piece of advice. It's just don't be Disney dad and don't try to compete to make them love you more, like going to your house more. There's just no point because this can lead to frustration. And number two, one thing that I hear, especially we're recording this podcast six days before Christmas, and I hear so many guys, and I remember this my first year too, 
is they might not have their kids this Christmas or on a, on a special day, and and they're so bummed and depressed about that. You got to learn how to have like special days on days that aren't the days. So, for example, I didn't have them on Thanksgiving this year, but I did have them up from when they got out of school Friday up until that Wednesday. On Tuesday, I made the huge Thanksgiving and that was our Thanksgiving. That's another tip is learn how to celebrate days on days that aren't the days, (laughs) whether it's your birthday or whether it's their birthday or Christmas or Halloween or whatever. So that's another tip. And then the number... You know, I, I wish I had a better co-parenting relationship. If you can do it, and especially I advise co-parenting coaches and, and, and those kind of pieces, if you can figure that out with your ex, man, I wish I had that. That's like the one thing I wish I had is like a good co-parenting relationship, and I don't. But if you don't, you got to figure it out, guys. Like you got to figure it out. And for guys, a lot of us are planners. And what I know what I personally do is I write things on whiteboards for work. I'm a consultant, like as my full-time job. So I'm used to writing on whiteboards. So before I have my kids for a weekend or a week or whatever it's going to be, I map it out on a whiteboard. This is what we're doing on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. This is what we're having for breakfast. This is what we're having for lunch. This is what we're having for dinner. This is what I'm sending for school snacks. So I've got it baked. So when my kids come over, it looks like a well-orchestrated, well-oiled machine. They, they don't have any idea how much work I did in the background to get it to be to that point. But I am incredibly detail-oriented when it comes to prep for them. And what it does is it makes a better experience for them and it lowers the stress on me so that we I can just have fun with them rather than having to figure out what are we going to have for dinner on Saturday night? I know what we're having on dinner with Saturday night because I planned that out five nights ago. I am so impressed. Uh, Men and women, everyone listening, I don't do that. I think that sounds great. That is such a great idea. And it makes so much sense because you are, you're running to and fro and between the homework and the dishes and the meals and everything, anything that you can do to be better prepared. I love that. I do want to ask you, I want to go back to the parallel parenting piece for a moment. So we give all types of guidance and direction around accepting what is and doing that parallel piece. What would you say is the hardest piece that has nothing to do with her? Like for you, the hardest piece, parallel parenting as opposed to co-parenting? I guess there's like the emotional and the logistical things that are hard. So logistical, it's hard when you really do want to plan or you want to try to solve a problem. Like, hey, my son's name is William. Hey, William is struggling in one of my sons. I have two sons. One of my sons is is William. Hey, William is struggling in like math or something, which he's not. He's amazing at math. But if I want to talk to his mom about it, I can't. I don't have access. Like we don't have that kind of relationship where we can work out these problems that you think two parents should. So that's logistically or like just transportation issues or like I I have to go out of town one weekend in February and I was trying to switch days or something like that and I can't. It's like working with a brick wall and it's incredibly frustrating. So that's logistically. Emotionally, it's hard because there's certain things with your kids that you can only really share with the other parents. I remember... My son, Alex, he did something funny one day. And this was a couple of years ago. So I don't remember specifically what it was, but I remember the first thing I wanted to do was call his mom, my ex-wife, and be like, oh my gosh, can you believe Alex did that? Isn't that hilarious? Do you remember when Grace and William did that? But I couldn't because I don't have their relationship anymore. So what I learned how to do was to express that in different ways, whether it's journaling or quite frankly, my sponsor in my recovery program, he told me one time, he said, hey, if you're ever missing her, you want to tell her something, or even if you're angry at her, call me instead. And so I would call him and address him by my ex-wife's name. And I would say, hey, like I have this to tell you. And and it was so helpful because it felt like it was not just burning inside of me. Like I was able to get it out. So again, there's that logistical piece that's hard to parallel parenting and also the emotional piece. It's interesting. I think that the emotional piece is a really hard one, whether you're really concerned about your child or you really want to celebrate them. I was lucky enough that my best friend was at the birth of both of my children. My children are now 25 and 27. And so I called her after the divorce and I was like, you're my person. So you next to their dad who loves them, but we can't have that. You do. And so more than my sisters or my mom, their grandmother was my best friend who I was able to call and celebrate. And I think it's really important 
to have a person. And it brings us back to your earlier thing, which is men are already struggling with a support network. But I think it's a great suggestion that if you've gone through a high conflict divorce and you don't have that relationship, don't man up, fill the gap, find the safe, healthy person that because you've got a lifetime of parenting these kids into. And in my humble opinion, as they become adults, the problems get bigger. They're bigger. Their problems are bigger. And so having that kind of support is immensely valuable. I love that you do that. And thank you for sharing that. Yeah, for sure. There's one more topic I would love to chat with you about before we begin to wrap up. And that is that you're engaged. Congratulations. And Thank you. It's pretty recent. Yeah. And that means that you've been a divorced single parent dad who's found time to date and who's found a new love. Can you just share a little bit about what that process was like? You've been listening to our podcast, Getting Educated, Regulating Your Emotional Reactions, and it's been really helpful. Yet you know you could do better, be better, and you're wanting and needing more support. That's where our coaching service is a game changer. We're here for you when you need us the most, ensuring you have all the tools and resources at your fingertips, guiding and supporting you to be more effective. Our free rapid relief call helps you gain a broader perspective, commit to your best next steps, and determine what coaching support is right for you. Visit rapidreliefcall.com to book your call today. piece of advice is I've been divorced now three years and that's probably still pretty soon to be. And, and so it'll probably be four to five years post-divorce that I'll actually be married because uh, we're not getting, getting married immediately. Obviously, we're going to go through all this marriage prep and all this stuff. But I would say number one is don't just rush into something immediately after because a lot of guys do that. And frankly, I did that. 10 months after I was separated, I, w- I, I got into a relationship and it was way too fast. Now, the the only thing that was good about that that I think came of it, I, I did like that person a lot. So there was a lot of good that came from it. But I would say the best thing that came from that relationship was that it it held a mirror up in front of my face and showed me where I needed to improve. Now, it, I, I believe, again, God sends all these like crazy things into your life. It just so happened that person that I dated was a clinical psychologist. <laughs> so what I loved about it was is that she would provide me feedback and it would be kind of within the same category that my ex-wife would, but the way she would ask it as a therapist was very different. She would ask, so tell me why you think you do things this way. And it would force me to to say, oh my goodness, why do I do it that way? And so after that ended, and both of us got into a relationship too quickly, so it ended primarily because of that, is because we were both just not ready. But it, it helped me. And then immediately after that relationship was done, I started to pray to God. Because I've always been in relationships. I've never spent any time single ever since really high school. And I started to pray to God and I prayed to God and my prayer was, please, Lord, remove my desire to be in a romantic relationship. Please, Lord, remove my desire to be in a romantic relationship. And I prayed this every single day for probably two months. And one day I woke up and it was gone, gone. Like I just had no desire. And I felt fine in solitude, not isolation, solitude. Two different things. Isolation means I'm living like a hermit. Solitude means I'm spending time alone with God. And so I decided I wanted to practice being alone and learning how to fall in love with being by myself and fall in love with my own company. So I'm a very, very, very social guy. I'm a social butterfly. I'm an extreme extrovert. And whenever I take Myers-Briggs, my extroversion is off the chart. But I forced myself on Friday and Saturday nights, I would stay in. And I even switched from, I used to love romantic comedies. Matthew McConaughey was my guy. 
but I switched from watching romantic comedies to watching horror movies. And the reason why I did that is because I didn't want to see anything romantic because I didn't want to be reminded of those feelings. So it sounds silly, but it was very methodical and thought out. I, I mentioned to you also before we started to record, I'm also a competitive boxer. So I just sunk myself into learning how to box. That was new post-divorce as I picked up boxing. And so what this did, and so I spent 13, 14 months practicing being in solitude. And then one day I said, and I was getting very, very comfortable in solitude. And I started to get scared because I decided at that point, I said, you know what? This is the life for me. I don't want to be in another relationship. I don't want to get hurt. And when I started to feel that, I said, uh-oh, okay, that's not a good reason to, to be alone. And then I also felt this pull from God. I could hear it clear as day saying, your job is to love somebody else and help somebody else raise their kids. I, I heard it clear as day. And so I said, okay, I will try one more time, God. This was like my negotiation. I said, one yeah. more time, God. I said, if I get hurt one more time, I am done. I am done. I am going to be alone for the rest of my life. So I started to go on a lot of dates and the typical way you would nowadays, I got into dating apps and I went on a lot of dates, like first dates and stuff like that. Not like a couple of seconds, but mostly I was meeting people for coffee, meeting people for dinner. It got quite exhausting, to be honest with you. Um, and I wasn't really ready to get into a full-time relationship, but then I met this person who I'm now engaged to. And it was almost like God molded her for me, that God molded us for each other. I can't even explain the depths of love I have for this person and her two children. She has a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And I just, I, th I guess the part that is a little sad to me is that I have finally learned what it means to be a good partner and to love somebody else without any self-motivating factors, to love completely and selflessly. And it's so easy to do. I have an unquenchable desire to serve this human being and to make her life better. And I guess the one part that is that makes me a little sad about that is that this human being was in me somewhere and I could never give it to my ex-wife, to be fair, is that she never got this version of me. If she saw the way I treated my now fiance, she would be floored probably. It's not that I was a terrible husband, but I certainly wasn't this. Like I am pretty darn good as a partner right now. I think my fiance would say that. Number one, guys, spend time healing. And healing doesn't mean just time. Like healing means you put the work in. I put a ton of work in, whether that be therapy, whether it be recovering from any addictions I had, I, like I mentioned earlier on, getting deeper in my faith, getting stuff that was just mine, the boxing, getting fit, physically fit and healthy. I put in the work. I didn't sit around and hope for things to get better. I put in the work. And then when time was ready, God put this person in my life was perfect, who is awesome to my kids. I'm great with her kids. And I feel blessed because there's no part of me that deserves this. This is completely the grace of God. I do not deserve a second chance, but he's given me one and I cannot be more blessed or thankful. Wow. What a great story. Thanks. I mean, God willing, a happy ending. And I hope my ex-wife has the same kind of experience, honestly, because she's, again, she's a child of God and she deserves love too. But I'm focused on me and I'm focused on my new partner. Now, the crazy thing is, this is kind of funny, Karen. My ex-wife and my current fiance have the same first name. Oh, that's hysterical. <laughs> and that would be God's sense of humor. It is God's sense of humor. Now it's spelled differently, but it's the same first name. And I almost didn't accept the date with her because of that. But yeah, I just, something told me, go out with this person. And my goodness, it is, I mean, you kind of got to laugh about that. And, and my, <laughs> yeah, and so my daughter was joking with me. They're, they're, my fiance's name is Megan. And my daughter said, hey, dad, maybe you just have things for women named Megan. And I just had to laugh at that. One of the other things that comes to mind as you're speaking is I'm such a big fan of talking about breaking generational chains, right? And so I came from not a low conflict family of origin. My dad was an alcoholic. My mom, I refer to as a rageaholic. And I never wanted to get divorced. And of course, I ended up marrying much of what I grew up with. And so it's those generational chains. And for you to have done the work that you've done and to be merging your three little ones with her two little ones, the opportunity to break generational chains, to strengthen faith, to, to have such a powerful impact on 
your children's healthy relationships going forward is right there. It's right there for you. And you have a beautiful story, Chris, and I love your faith. I love what a great dad you sound like you are. And this has just been a beautiful conversation. Well, thank you, Karen. I've really enjoyed it. And by no means am I perfect. I'm just a human being that tries to do the next right thing. And I would just encourage all your listeners to just really lean in their faith, to look at what their role is in the high conflict divorce. Conflict takes two people. And I'm under no illusion that I don't have blood on my hands for the high conflict divorce. Like I fully understand my role and everything that took place. And it just took a lot of work to become the person that I am today, which is a child of God, a disciple of Jesus Christ, a good dad, a loyal fiance, and a, a good soon-to-be stepfather. And it just it doesn't happen by accident. It just doesn't happen by accident. It happens by the grace of God coupled with your cooperation. You have to cooperate. And uh, that's what I would leave your your listeners with. Yeah, that was, well, that's a mic drop. There's nothing to say after that. Yeah, I agree completely. How can people find you if they want to tune into your podcast or if there's anything else you'd like to share? Yeah, so I'd encourage folks to go to mensdivorcerecovery.org, mensdivorcerecovery.org. And also, it's if you just search on any podcast platform, it's just Men's Divorce Recovery. Dale Brown picked a very easy name to remember. I'd also encourage you... Men and women, pick up the, the the Daily Survival Guide for Divorced Men. I can guarantee you it works for men and women, but men in particular, get that book on Amazon. It is like the greatest thing on the planet. It literally saved my life. Like I said, there was moments where I was praying to God to not wake up. Get that book, join our ministry, and uh, hopefully we can help some folks along the way. Love that. Yeah, definitely tune in. They just have some beautiful content and thank you so much for coming and sharing a little bit of your story and your journey. And I wish you Godspeed and all the best, both with the podcast and what you're doing in the ministry and with your new family that you're going to be merging together. Good for you. Thanks, Karen. Really good to be on. And we'll be back again real soon with another episode. So you folks should take care. Are you ready to break free from your mundane midlife? Are you feeling trapped in a vicious cycle of rinse and repeat days? No matter if you're experiencing a divorce hangover, job burnout, or you just had the midlife blues, I got you. Hey, I'm Wendy Valentine, host of the Midlife Makeover Show. Tune into my podcast where we talk about all things midlife. You'll learn how to achieve a vibrant midlife mind and body, how to create solid relationships through love and loss, and how to create an awesome second half of life. Just go to themidlifemakeovershow.com and join the midlife party. Thanks for joining us on the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast. I hope you found guidance and encouragement to help you along your journey. If you like my podcast, please take a minute to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. You can also visit us at jbddivorcesupport.com, where our team of coaches support both men and women through our one-on-one -on -one coaching group programs, online courses, and free resources. Stay tuned for our next episode, and I'll talk to you soon.